All right, guys, we are going to dive into God's Word as we do every Sunday, and we will be in the book of Judges once again in Judges chapter 11. If you can, will you stand with me? We're going to read God's Word. I'm going to read some. You guys are going to read some. I'll give you the signal when it's your turn uh, so we don't get confused. Here we go. Judges chapter 11, we're going to start in, in verse 1. So now Jephthah was a Gilead, of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons, and when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he fled an army. He led an army against the Ammonites. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters, and when he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, we invite you into this time this morning. Open our eyes that we might see wonderful things from your word. Open our ears to hear you. Open our hearts to understand. And God, that we would hear your word and we would put it into practice this week. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So the Bible begins with these words in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Every work of God begins and it ends with the Spirit of God. We see it from the very beginning. Every work of God begins and ends with the Spirit of God. And whenever there's darkness, the Spirit is nearby, hovering, waiting to work. Really, that's my story and it's your story. You guys know this is true. For me, uh, you know, I look pretty perky and happy and, you know, just joyful all the time. The, the, the glory of God is shining off my face, right? But when I was about 18 or 19 years old, I went through this deep, dark depression. And I was just, my life was filled with darkness. And at one point, I was in my, sitting in my truck on the edge of a, an embankment or a cliff in Redlands. And I was thinking of driving it over. There's darkness there. But the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the darkness, waiting to work. Because every good work of God begins and ends with the Spirit of God. And that's true for you guys as well, right? You can think of some of your stories, your story where there's darkness, but God is at work. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we just finished Rooted, which is our, our church's discipleship experience. And if you haven't do Rooted, we're going to do it again starting August 17th. You got to do Rooted if you haven't done it. But so many stories in Rooted came out of that where, where you shared stories of how your life was dark and the Spirit of God moved in your life. I think about this first one uh, on the screen here is that addiction held me down, but God has set me free. And the Spirit of God was hovering in the darkness. The next one says, afraid, angry, confused, sad, empty, but now I'm stronger, happy, loving, unafraid, and trusting. The Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness of Chris's life and did a change. Next one, struggling because I was far from God, but now growing closer to Jesus and finding hope in his world, word. That, friends, is the spirit of God working in people's lives, speaking into the darkness, speaking light into darkness. 
Good news is that wherever there's darkness, the Spirit of God is nearby waiting to work. And every work of God begins and ends with the Spirit of God. So this morning, we know that every good work begins and ends with the Spirit of God. But I want to talk about how do we go from there? Where do we go next? If you guys are new to the faith, where do you go next? If you've been walking with God for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, where do you go next? If you see these huge obstacles in your life, where do you go next? If, if you're in a place or position or time of your life where you feel trapped, where do you go next? If you are trying to serve God in a way that you've never served him before, where do you go next? What's our next step? We all want to know how to move forward. We all want to know how to mature. We all want to know how to overcome. This morning, we're going to take a look at the book of Judges chapter 11 and the story of Jephthah, and we're going to see two main things. We're going to see how to move forward in our walk with God, and we're going to see how to move forward in our work with God. So first, we'll start with Jephthah's backstory. So Jephthah was, uh, is, is kind of a little bit of a story. Like, you guys seen the movie Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray? You know, like Judges is like Groundhog's Day, essentially. So, you know, it's like the people of God, they disobey God, they rebel, and then he lets their enemies just kind of beat on them for a while until they, until they decide to repent. And so this happens over and over and over again. And this time, it's been 18 years, and the Israelites' enemies, the Ammonites, are just beating on them, making their life miserable. And the people finally repent, they cry out to God. And this is where Jephthah's story comes in. Now, Jephthah had this, like, Cinderella kind of story. He was this mighty man. He was a raider, but, uh, you know, kind of the asterisk on his name was that, oh, yeah, and his mom was a prostitute. Well, that's a little awkward, right? And so, you know, it, it was so bad that his brothers drove him out of, the, out of the family because he would be the firstborn son. He would get the inheritance, and, like, we're not sharing our inheritance with you. And his dad didn't even do anything about it. So Jephthah, he's cast out from his family. He has nowhere to go. So he just goes to the streets. He becomes a gang member. He becomes a raider. He becomes a pirate, essentially. He's just stealing stuff. And all, he attracts all these worthless men who follow him. And so they're, they're raiding. You know, one day they're stealing tires. The next day they're stealing radios. You know. they're, they're doing whatever they can just to make a buck. They're stealing things left and right. And then finally, his, his family welcomes him back. They say, you're good at fighting, right? We need a fighter. So will you be our leader? Will you lead us against the Ammonites? So Jephthah takes the job. He gets to be part of the family, and he gets to be the leader of the family. Instead of dishonor, he would have honor. So there's a lot at stake for Jephthah. He's really got to get a victory. He's really got to win. And so the problem is, is he went from being a small-time gang member to the political and military leader of Israel. It's quite a leap. And he didn't get any training. There wasn't like the class on how to be the you know, charge of Israel. So he just tries what he thinks is going to work. So he does this diplomatic or this political move. And he sends a note to the king of the Ammonites, their enemies. And he says, you know, maybe we can work this out diplomatically. But it says in verses 28, the king of Ammon paid no attention to Jephthah, Jephthah's message. So that was like his one trick pony. Like he had that one idea. And he's like, now what? Now what do I do? I've got nothing and it says in verse 29, look what happens. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. At the point that Jephthah was at the end of his rope, that his plan had failed, that he's out of options, that he's not sure what to do, he has no way of saving his people, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah at the exact moment that he needed the power of God. His own words, his own efforts were not enough. He needed something more, and it's at that time that God met him. Billy Graham once said that when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. When we don't have the strength to carry on, when we feel like there's no hope for us, when our plans and our ability isn't enough, it's there that the Lord will meet with us. 
Question for you guys. What moment are you in this morning? Where are you at in your life? How's your life going? Have you come to the place where you're at the end of yourself, where all that you have just isn't enough, where you don't know the next step or you don't know the way forward? The God who met Jephthah will meet you at the exact moment that you need him. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 49.8. The Lord declares, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Or another translation puts it this way, at just the right time, I will respond to you. On the day of salvation, I will help you. Our God is a God who hears you. Our God is a God who helps you. Jen, my wife, uh, bless her heart, she works with the kids. So if you hear some screaming, that's the children over there. Parents, don't worry, they're fine. Um, And then also, she also helps out with the middle schoolers. Now, if you have ever seen a middle school before, it's like the most awkward time in your life completely. It's like awkward times 10. So if you have the gift of leading middle schoolers, God bless you, it's definitely a gift. So my wife is working with the middle schoolers, and she works with this great uh, group of girls and I believe Sarah does as well. Um, and so, yeah, thank you, Sarah. You guys are awesome. To do that, to, like I said, it's a gift. But she's working with this, this young girl, and this girl is telling her story. She says, I'm at home one day, and I'm hearing all these voices. You're not good enough. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to be around you. And then out of the blue, she hears this voice. I love you. I know you. I want to be with you. Because our God is a God who hears. He's a God who helps. He's going to hear you, and he's going to help you. Let's take a look at our story. It continues here. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. So the Spirit of the Lord comes on Jephthah's life, and now things are starting to go well. The Spirit of God is with him. He's going throughout the land. He's gathering this army. He's going to fight against the Ammonites, their enemies. God is leading them. It's going to be great. And then he does something really stupid. Just something really dumb, which we tend to do, right? At least I do. Um, It says this, verse 30, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. What did he think was going to come out his front door? A cow? I mean, like, (laughs) I don't know about you guys. I don't keep livestock in the house, you know? So what did he think was going to come out his front door? Fortunately, it was his daughter, unfortunately. Have you guys ever done this before? We kind of do this. You know, God, if you'll heal my family member, I'll live for you. If you get me out of this jam, I will definitely go to church next week. Maybe, if it's not too early. Um, You know, if you will do this for me, I will do that for you. It's kind of weird, but we do that. Question for you guys. Who was leading Jephthah against the Ammonites? God was, right? It was the Spirit. God was doing it. God was. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The people cried out for a deliverer. God's answered them. He's called Jephthah to do it. He's raised Jephthah up to do this task. You see, Jephthah made this really foolish, dumb vow because he failed to understand who God was and what he's like. God even said in, in uh, Hosea 6.6, 6, he says, I'm not interested in sacrifice and burnt offering. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. That's not what he wanted. It's not what God wanted at all. Jephthah failed to understand who God is and what he's like, and so he makes this dumb, foolish vow. Listen, as a father, I can tell you, I I have a daughter, and my heart is to bless my daughter. And your daughters, sometimes they take advantage of that a little bit, you know, um, you know, work on the daddy a little bit, and it it works every time. But it doesn't have to do that. My desire is to bless my kid because I love her. She's my kid. 
Listen, you have a heavenly father whose desire is to bless you. He loves you. You don't have to convince him to bless you. He's going to do it anyways. He's going to do it. As a father, God is interested in blessing his kids. I think of the story of David in uh, 2 Samuel 7. David wanted to build this temple for God. He says, I have this beautiful house. God needs a house too. I'm going to build him a house. And God says, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to bless you because that's our father in heaven. At this point of Jephthah's story, it's key for us to understand how to move forward in our walk with God, in our work with God. First, we're going to talk about how to move forward in our walk with God. So when it comes to our relationship with God, if you love him, you want to please him with your life, right? So if, you, if you're married, you want to please your spouse. If, you, uh, if you're a child, hopefully you want to please your parents, hopefully. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. If you're an employee, hopefully you want to please your boss. If we've been saved, if we have a relationship with God, we want to please him. And we, we understand and we recognize and we realize that there's some things about you and me that are not quite right. There's greed, there's lying, there's lust and sexual sin, there's anger, there's continual fighting and arguing, there's slander. And so often we make these rash vows that, that we, we beat ourselves up trying to do better. You know, God, if you deliver me from this sin, I, I'm gonna, I promise I'll do something. I'll go to Africa, I'll be a missionary, I'll live in the heat, I don't know. <laughs> We promise these things. Or we, or we just beat ourselves up trying to manage our sin, trying to, to hold on to it, to take care of it. When I was a kid, my mom and dad invented it. I don't know if they invented this, but we had it in our house. We called it the grumble box. You guys ever heard of the grumble box? So the grumble box was this little like coffee can. And whenever you said a bad word or you complained about something, you had to put a nickel in it. Problem was, I didn't have any nickels, so it worked out. But, um, you know, we try to manage our sin by just, you know, we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to do something to, to try to take care of it. The problem is that, like Jephthah, we can fail to understand who God is and what he's like. Our God is a good father who wants to give you good guests. He wants you to be free even more than you want to be free. Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship. It's not our work. He's doing the work. We are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6 says this, He who has begun a good work in you will be completed until the day of Jesus Christ. Remember, every good work of God begins and ends with the Spirit of God. Just like the Spirit of God came upon Jephthah's life to do what God intended, God intends to do a work in your life. It's his work, and he's going to complete it. He's going to deliver you and deal with these things in your life. You don't have to convince God to do the things that he already intends on doing. That's good news. You don't have to convince him. You're like, please, God, do it. He's doing it. He wants to do it. That It's his work. Galatians 3, 3 puts it this way. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Galatians 5, 16 goes on to say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We begin in the Spirit. The Spirit of God begins this work, and then we try to do it on our own. That's what Jephthah did. The Spirit of God came upon him. He's successful, and then he makes this really dumb vow. How in the world do you walk in the Spirit, though? What does that even mean? Uh, it's like a church kind of word, church term. How do you walk in the Spirit? First of all, you have to understand what, that the old you is dead. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The idea is that Jesus died on the cross and we died with him. 
That old life is gone. As my good buddy Andy likes to say, he was baptized many years ago. And Andy, what do you say? Old Andy's, old Andy's dead in the lake. He's bobbing on this, you know. Old Andy's dead in the lake. He's gone. That's, that's the old Andy. And now we have a new Andy. And new Andy's awesome. We love Andy. The problem is this. You can't improve a dead body. You guys ever been to a, a funeral with an open casket? Now, you put some makeup on that, but uh, it's still dead. You know, you can, it doesn't look, it's a dead body. You can't do much to improve upon it. You can't improve a dead body. No matter what I do or how hard I try, I can't make the old me any better than it was. See, new people set their minds on their new relationship. You know, I have not been in the dating world for about 23 years, and I don't even know what that's like. But some of my buddies, unfortunately, are in that world. And uh, it's kind of like this, if you go on a date, and all they talk about is their ex. They're a little awkward. You know, like all they're talking about is how horrible their ex was or how great their ex is. You're like, I thought we were starting a new thing. Why are you talking about that old thing? Colossians 1.3 puts it this way. Or 3.1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. See, the odd paradox is this, is the more I focus on improving my life and managing my situation, the worse it actually gets. One day, a very important religious leader came up to Jesus, and he says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. What should I do, God? What can I do? How can I get better? How can I improve? What can I do? What should I do? And Jesus says, love me. Love me. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Psalms 37, 4 puts it this way. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight in God, you begin to desire what he desires, and you find yourself doing what he desires. Question for you guys, what are you delighting in this morning? What brings you delight? Is it a chocolate chip cookie? (laughs) Is it the Netflix series that just came out? Is it something else? What are you delighting in this morning? What brings you joy? The Westminster Catechism of 1647 says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Did you know that your job as a follower of Jesus is to enjoy the Lord. He's called you to enjoy him. Not to do things for him. You'll do those things as well. But ultimately, he says, I want you to enjoy me and glorify me. That's really good news, guys. He wants us to enjoy him. Uh, How do you enjoy God, though? What does that even mean? How do you delight in Jesus? Now you're like, this is weird. I don't even know what that means. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19 says this. Be filled with the Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we sing songs to the Lord, we give thanks in everything. The Spirit of God begins to fill our lives with joy, joy in God and who he is and what he's done. Did you guys enjoy the worship a little bit earlier? Enjoy that? Because as we're worshiping, we're remembering who God is and how great he is and what he's done in our lives. As we delight ourselves in God, he gives us his desires and his power to do it. How does that work? I don't know. It's a mystery. I can't even really comprehend or explain it, but I know it's true. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
God gives us desires and his power to do his work in our lives, yet it still needs to be worked out in our lives. Pastor Steve says it so often that the real battlefield for us is in our minds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 5 says, For the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What I found as I walk with God, as I delight in him, as I enjoy him, as I worship him, is that the Holy Spirit will point out things gently, one by one. See, if I'm coming up with a list, the list has got 25 things on, and I have to do it by next Tuesday, and I'm never going to do it, and so I'm overwhelmed. Holy Spirit, though, is gentle because our God is good. He's a gentle father. He's a good father. And so one by one, he'll be like, deal with that one. Let's deal with that one together. And so for me, that's how it's worked out in my life. And like I said, I can't exactly explain it, but it's a mystery, but it, this is how it works. So for me, I think in the last six months or 12 months or so, I just noticed that I am like perpetually negative. Like I drive down the road, I'm like, traffic, uh, you know. Um, they're building like a million houses across the street from me. A million houses, dang it, you know. The HOA, the freeway, Cherry Valley Boulevard, all of it, you know, just, I get so negative and I feel this, just gentle Holy Spirit's like, let's deal with that. Let's deal with that. That's how God works. He gives me both the will to do it and the power to do it. And gently he taps on my shoulder and helps me to do it. The thing is, is that we walk in the spirit, but we don't have to walk alone. Jephthah, when he was leading these people, he was doing it by himself. He's like, okay, I'm the leader. I'm going to do it. He had nobody with him. Like Moses had a Joshua, Jephthah had a nobody. He was all by himself. He was his own leader. As we love the Lord with all of our heart, he will give us his desires, his will, his power to do it. But so often we fail because we walk alone. This old African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. As sanctuary, we firmly believe that disciples are made in the context of community, which really just means that we need each other to be able to, to become like Jesus. I need Isaiah. Isaiah needs me. I need David. David needs me. We need each other to become like Jesus. And that's why um, I think of the story of, of Lazarus. You guys remember the story of Lazarus? So Lazarus was dead, and Jesus raises him from the dead. He's in this tomb with a rock. They roll away the stone. He says, Lazarus, come forth. So Lazarus comes forth. He's all bandaged up with all these bandages. He can't, can't walk. And he tells his friends, you untie him. So Jesus gave Lazarus the power to be raised from the dead, but his friends had to actually untie him. We need each other to accomplish the work of God in our lives. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person is great power and produces wonderful results. Again, my buddy Andy, this morning, I'm like, I'm speaking this morning. Andy, I need your help. Will you pray for me? Andy prayed for me before we began. I need Andy. Andy needs me. I can't be untied by myself. You are never meant to walk alone. You need people to walk with you. That's why at Sanctuary we do man camp. That's why we do women's Bible studies. That's why we do rooted. That's why we do all these things because we're not meant to walk alone and we can't untie ourselves completely. For some of you guys who've been around the block for a few times, maybe you've been around the block multiple times, you invented the block, you know, you've, you've walked with God for 30 or 40 years and you're like, I don't need this. I don't need to be part of community. Our pastor, Pastor Rod, always says something wise, and, and, and it applies in a lot of different contexts, but he says this, community isn't just for you. You think, okay, I, I already know these things. I'm already mature. I don't need these things. But listen, community isn't just for you. 
Some of you are mature in the faith, and God wants to use you to help untie other people because you've got a lot of wisdom, you've got a lot of knowledge, you've got a life experience. Community isn't just for you. You need to be part of it. God wants to use your life to bless others. The story of Jephthah also illustrates for us how to move forward in our work with God. We talked about how to move forward in our walk. Now we're talking about how to move forward in our work with God. So many of us, we're trying to accomplish great things for the Lord. You want to have a godly marriage. You want to raise godly kids and godly grandkids. You're trying to serve the Lord in ministry in some way. And like Jephthah, we can just try to make it happen. Make it happen, Captain. Trying to be the perfect mom or dad or spouse. You're trying to make your kids good or just mostly behaved. Trying to make ministry happen. For some of us, though, the work of God seems like this impossible mountain. That There's no way we can get past it. Your marriage uh, for your marriage to work, it seems like this impossible mountain. For your family to be saved, for the vision and ministry to be accomplished, to build a building at a chicken ranch, sounds like a mountain. How do you accomplish the work of God in your family, in your ministry? There's a story in the Bible about Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was tasked with rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And before he could rebuild it, there was just this mountain of debris and rubble uh, that, that had to be dealt with. So you can't build to get rid of all the junk. And so, you know, they don't have like a caterpillar tractor that can just come and sweep it away. Like it's, you know, maybe you have an ox cart. Maybe you're just picking up stones one by one. It just seemed impossible. Before they could rebuild, they had to deal with these mountains. And so listen to what God says to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4.6. He says, this is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The work of God always begins and ends with the spirit. The, the, the word sounds similar. He says, not by might or by power, but they really mean two different things. So might is brute force. You think about how am I going to deal with like, like John Michael does like roofing and stuff. You know, like he does with like this like heavy man lifting stuff that I can't do. Um, and, you know, you need brute force to accomplish things. He says, not by that, nor by power, which is, he's talking about cunning. Or the, really, the word kind of comes from the, this idea of a chameleon who will change its colors to kind of trick other people. So it's, it's not by your, your brute force, your ingenuity, or your wisdom that this is going to happen. It's by my spirit. The work in front of you might seem like a mountain, but it's God's mountain. It's not yours. Jephthah thought that the victory in battle was his work. He says, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I'll give the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph and will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So often we think that the work that needs to be accomplished is our work. It's our kids, it's our marriage, it's our ministry. Listen to what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. We think it's our work, our ministry, our kids, our relationships. He says, it's my field. I'm the Lord of the harvest. It's my workers, it's my ministry, it's my family. It's his work, but we don't have to convince him to do it. He's going to do it. When it comes to your family or ministry, God has chosen you to do the work, but ultimately it's his work, it's his workers, it's his ministry, it's his might, it's his power that's going to accomplishment. Question for you this morning. What is one area of your family, your ministry, your service that you feel stuck? It feels like a mountain to you, like there's no way it could be accomplished. Jesus said this, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Have you asked the Lord what he wants to do in his field or in your family? Have you asked him how you should work for parents of teenagers, what you should say and what you should not say, where you should push and where you should not push? How are we going to build a chicken ranch, God? It costs a lot of money and there's a lot of hurdles. How are we going to build this church on a chicken ranch property? I don't know. 
but we, the Spirit knows, and he can lead us in that. Every work of God begins and ends with the Spirit of God. While we don't have to convince him, we do have to trust him. Zerubbabel had to do the work, but it was the Spirit of God that was going to ultimately bless it and give him success. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. As you do the things that God has called you to do and you trust him, he's going to give you new strength to do them because the strength is coming from him. So as we wrap this up, Jephthah's story, ultimately Jephthah's story didn't go well. He got the victory. God was going to do that anyways. No surprise there. But in the end, he takes his own daughter's life because he made this foolish, ridiculous vow that God didn't require of him. And he, he unfortunately goes through with it, which is really interesting because if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, which is this hall of faith, Jephthah's included in that. Hebrews 11.32, it says, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Why was he included? I mean, this guy sacrificed his own daughter. Why would he be included? He believed God to save him. Imperfectly, but he believed God. The good news is that God loves imperfect people who love him imperfectly. Our faith is weak sometimes. We blow. We try to walk in our own strength. We try to do God's work in our own power. But somehow he sees the little that we have and he honors it because he's good. So what do we do with all this as we close? What do we do with all this stuff here from the message of Jephthah and Judges 11? This morning, some of you guys just need to be reminded that your God, your, God, your Father is good. He loves you. He's for you. You don't have to convince him to do good things in your life. He's already going to do them. He is a good Father. He loves you. He's got a good plan for your life. Some of us need to change our focus from focusing on our own issues and problems to setting our minds on things above. God wants you to enjoy him, delight in him, love him. As you do these things, he's going to give you desires and his power. Some of you need to move towards community. Like Jephthah, it's you against the world. He says, that's not how it's supposed to be. You need to be untied by others and untie others and help them. So if you guys would, pray with me. Every work of God begins and ends with the Spirit of God. Dear God, we thank you that this is true, that it's your work, it's your people, and you are going to fulfill what you've planned on doing. You're going to do this and even more as we delight ourselves in you. And so we ask this in your name. Amen.